0: The, the 26th chapter of the book of Leviticus is one of those chapters that really almost, almost gives you like an outline that can help you to, to sort of give Scripture a framework. And here in this one chapter, you have the, the history, really, of the nation of Israel laid out in advance, even before they come into that land and and take possession of the land that God has promised to them, he lays out their history and it's laid out in this series of of curses that God uh, proclaims on that nation. God, foreseeing that they were going to rebel against him, was able to tell them what you know, as their rebellion progressed and got worse and worse, what these these various judgments were that would come on them. Now it says, Ye shall make you no idols nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall ye set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Ye shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord. Notice here in in Leviticus chapter twenty six, verse three if ye walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them. Then I will give you rain in due season, the land shall yield their increase, the trees of the field shall yield their fruits. Uh, he describes all of the, the physical blessings to that land if they keep his law. Uh, he describes, the again, the agricultural benefits. He describes the peace In the land, Uh, he describes the, the victory that he'll give them over their enemies. When you get down to verse 14, though, you have the other side of that coin. But if ye will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments. Verse 15, if ye shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. And with verse 16, you begin to see these courses of judgment that would come upon Israel. Verse 16, he says, I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning ague that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against you, and ye shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you, and ye shall flee when none pursueth you. There's that first course of judgment, that first chastisement. But what you see is, uh, you see at the beginning of verse 18, it says, And if ye will not, yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Each course of judgment is progressively worse than the one before, and it's cumulative. It's added on top of the one before. And so, so that first course of judgment, uh, you know, runs through the, the period of time of the, of the judges um, and, and really kind of into the beginning of the period of the kings of Israel. The second second chastisement, or second chorus there, verse 18, it says, If you will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power. And I will make your heaven as iron, and your earth as brass, and your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. He says he's going to break the pride of their power and the pride of Israel's power came to be in a king. Remember, they weren't they weren't uh, they weren't satisfied with having these judges that God would raise up and being directly under the kingship of God himself. They said they wanted to be like the nations around them and have a king. Now, the reason nations like to have a king is the king, even if the king, you know, doesn't necessarily have a great deal of power, the king becomes sort of a figurehead for the nation. Um... Think of the way, you know, we don't have a king, but, but people do a lot of the same kind of thing with with uh, sports teams and that kind of thing. You know, that's sort of their like their figurehead. And a king uh, often served that purpose. That was a lot of why Israel wanted a king, so because they could see how these other nations would glory in their kings, and they wanted a human king that they could do the same thing. And they built up this pride of their power, and yet remember that that uh, so God gives them a, a king first of all King Saul uh, King Saul rebels against the Lord he's disobedient and God rejects him from being king he gives him David now David with David and David's son Solomon you see this sort of this bright spot in Israel's history but after Solomon's death what happens Rather than Israel having a king, they split up into two nations under two different kings. and, and those two groups are, those two kingdoms are, are constantly in conflict with one another. That pride of the power of that nation is broken. And generally the kings that they had were these wicked and evil kings. You see it describes there how he's going to make their heaven as iron and their earth as brass. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you can think of a specific time where Scripture even uses that same kind of wording to describe it. It was in the time of the prophet Elijah uh, and, and the time of King Ahab when Elijah had the power to shut the heaven so that no rain came for three and a half years. Three, can you imagine? Three and a half years without any rain. You know, you look at you look at the drought that's going on in Texas right now, and um, they've been—I don't know—I don't know how long they've had just small amounts of rain. Uh, imagine going three and a half years without any rain. Uh, they're in a place like. Like Israel, I mean, it's not a, a necessarily a real lush place anyway. And to go three and a half years without any rain, you can see how it can describe the heaven being as iron and the earth as brass, and there's not going to be a lot that's going to grow, right? And that's that that period under the prophet Elijah. Now you can you can clearly identify when they go from that second course into the third course. Uh, remember, Elijah ends his his time here on earth, he crosses back over the Jordan River. A very symbolic thing. When Israel came into the land, they crossed over the Jordan River and the Lord divided the Jordan River so that they went across on dry land. And when Elijah leaves Israel... He follows the same route that Israel took when they came into the land. He follows it in reverse. He comes to the Jordan River and takes his mantle and strikes the water, and the water separates, and he goes across on dry land, and he takes Elisha with him, um, and and he goes there, and he's carried up into heaven. And Elisha comes back into the land, and there's the specific point where they're going from the second chastisement into the third. You see, in verse 21, it says, If you walk contrary unto me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. Do you remember what happened when Elisha comes back into the land? He goes into uh, the city there and the children come out and they begin to mock him he's here he is the prophet of god Uh, he's picking up where elijah left off and they begin to mock him and they say go up thou bald head go up thou bald head and you remember what happens there's two she bears that come out of the woods and 42 children are killed there in that in that city that's the direct fulfillment of this course of judgment. It tells you you've moved from that second course, now they're in the third course. Uh, the highways being desolate. Uh, during that, that period of time, These, you know, in that first course of judgment, it talks about their enemies uh, eating their, you know, they'll sow their seed in vain because their enemies will eat it. And God would often give Israel's enemies rule over them, but it was kind of a tributary rule. They would have to pay taxes to, to whoever it was, the Midianites, the Philistines, uh, whoever it was God was using to judge them at the time. As you get here into some of these later courses of judgment, those enemies are actually coming in with armies and besieging their cities. And, and so it describes uh, how, how, you know, at various cities, these cities were shut up and you couldn't conduct any commerce. You couldn't send anything to the next city to sell because there's an army surrounding that city. Um, the, the highways, the Lord had made their highways desolate. Uh, you know, so, so you have the fulfillment of those things. Often, by the way, during the time of Elisha, uh, you know that there were sort of these momentary uh, revivals and things during Elisha's time, and often the things that God was using as a curse against Israel in that time, when they would respond in the right way, God would turn it right around and turn it into a blessing for them. Okay, but uh, there you have that that third course of judgment, um, and when you get when you get later there into, into uh, those kings there's a time where it says specifically that God began to cut Israel short and they move then that into that next, that next course of, of judgment uh, verse 23 it says if ye will not be reformed by me by these things but will walk contrary unto me then will I also walk contrary unto you and will punish you yet seven times for your sins I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when ye are gathered together within your cities, I will send the pestilence among you, and ye shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. And when I have broken the staff of your bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall deliver you your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. Now they're going to be shut up in their cities, not able to go in or out. They have to ration their food and nobody gets enough to eat because they're, they're besieged by armies, you see. And, and you see how these things are getting progressively worse. And finally, that fifth course of judgment, it says, If ye will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury. Now you notice how the, the wording is escalating there. First of all, it's just the Lord going to do something unto them. Then the Lord is gonna, going to punish them. Then the Lord is going to walk contrary unto them. And then he, here he's going to walk contrary unto them in fury. Now, I mean, if there's anything worse than God walking contrary to you, it's God walking contrary to you in fury. Right and and you see there he says he's going to chastise them seven times for their sins. He says you shall eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. I will destroy your high places, cut down your images, cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. I will make your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries unto desolation, and I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. Now, this course of judgment, unlike the others, all the others have just been a few verses each, but this one really extends, uh, you know, many verses there, and he describes how they're going to be taken even into captivity, where they'll actually be removed from the land, not just conquered by their enemies, but they'll actually pick them up, take them into a strange land, and remove them there. And of course, you have the Babylonian captivity that, that comes on them. Now, the passage, if you read all of it, uh, it also looks past that to a time where the Lord will remember the covenant and the Lord will establish them again in, in that land. But you see, it would be, first of all, they would have to go through this extensive period of this divine judgment and realize that that even when they came out of exile and even when they came back into the land, they didn't cease to be under these these curses of God uh, they didn't cease to be under these things. in fact when you when you get over into the book of Daniel you see really the Lord reveals to Daniel that that period of time was not just for the time of the exile, not just for the period while they were in Babylon, but it was going to extend over a longer period of time. go to Daniel chapter 9 and we can we can see it there and in fact just as you have these five, courses of judgment here in Leviticus 26, in Daniel, what you really see is you see that that last course of judgment was also going to have five, sometimes people call them installments, just to use a different word instead of courses, but it also was going to have five sections, five periods of time under which God was going to be doing uh, unique things there with Israel. Uh, of course, the captivity was the first part of that, um, and Daniel Daniel is given this vision here in Daniel nine, and we'll be we'll be down uh, about verse twenty four uh... daniel is given this at the end of that period of captivity daniel had been looking at the the book of jeremiah and isaiah and these other prophets and he knew that the exile was supposed to last seventy years and they were right there at the end of those seventy years and daniel's praying to god to to give him some some light about what they're supposed to do since the seventy years is about to be over and uh... God gives him, he gives him a, a vision and, and, you know, speaks to him here through an angel. And in Daniel 9 verse 24, he lays out for him what are the remaining four periods in this judgment on them until the time when the kingdom's actually going to be established. You see, he says in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. And he he says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment, to restore and to build Jerusalem under the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, But not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And verse 27 says, He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, the the Babylonian captivity was the you know the first part of that last course of judgment. But here he talks about how they're going to be allowed to go back into the land and rebuild. And he and he lays out God lays out a, a timeline starting from the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. But you see, even that period he divides up into two sections. He says it'll be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. And the the seven weeks there, that 49 years from the commandment to go and restore and rebuild Jerusalem, is that time of rebuilding. And you have, as they, as they go back into the land under Ezra and, and Nehemiah and these men, and there's a, a rebuilding there, there's a, there's a period of, of rebuilding. So you have the Babylonian captivity followed by this period of, of rebuilding. And then there's this long period of time uh, that it describes here, three score and two weeks, that it doesn't really tell you much about. And you know, really, the, the majority of that time, God was silent toward Israel. The prophets had said that there was going to come a time that was going to be a famine in Israel, not a famine of bread, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And there's a period of nearly, nearly uh, 400 years that's sometimes called the intertestamental period. It takes place between the close of the Old Testament and the appearance of John the Baptist. In, in the New Testament, where God is just silent toward Israel. But you see, at the end of that time, there would be the coming of Messiah the Prince. And there you have the, the uh, earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, really, the coming it's talking about there is at the end of his earthly ministry, when he, when he uh, goes into, the, into Jerusalem, when he enters into Jerusalem, But uh, it describes some things that are going to take place after the three score and two weeks. So the, the 70 weeks here are not completely contiguous. There's going to come 69 weeks and then some things that happen after 69 weeks. And then finally, the beginning of the 70th week, there's a gap there between the 69th week and the 70th week. And then finally, that 70th week where it describes here the the man that's often called the, the Antichrist, he's described here as the prince that shall come, and how he's going to... Confirm the covenant with many for one week, for a period of seven years. Uh, but in the midst of the week, he causes a sacrifice and oblation to cease. And there's this overspreading of abominations. And, and uh, at the end of all of that is when the kingdom is brought in. And so in these two passages, you really have all of Israel's history from, from uh, the exodus All the way up until the kingdom to the to the you know the end of the book of Revelation, here in these two passages laid out. Now, if you think about where they are at, as Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, they've come through those those courses in in Leviticus 26, they've come through that Babylonian captivity. Uh, they've gone through that period of silence of famine of hearing the words of the Lord. They've come through the period of, of uh, the the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah had come. And they're really, as Peter is speaking there, they're in that period of time where they're after the 69th week, but the 70th week hasn't begun yet. They're in, they're in that gap in between. And... What Peter's warning them about is about that 70th week. The things he talks about in Joel's prophecy are the things of the 70th week. Uh, When Christ is going to make his enemies his footstool, that's at the end of that 70th week. And so he's warning them about that one last, most intense period of judgment that the nation of Israel will ever go through. And that's what Peter's warning them about. Now, we didn't, we didn't continue to read it there back in Leviticus 26, but what the Lord... Actually, we better go, go back there and just uh, pick up the last few couple verses there before we close. Uh, go back there to Leviticus 26 one more time. Because the Lord describes what was the process for them to escape these courses of judgment. In verse 40, now we've seen the Lord said, if you obey my voice, I'm going to bless you. If you don't, I'm going to bring these courses of curses on you. Uh, And with each one, if you don't respond correctly, if you don't uh, turn back to me, then I'm going to bring the next one. And you see in verse 40, it says, if they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, With their trespass, which they trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I also have walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember, and I will remember the land. And then he describes the the uh, the restoration of the land there, in response to their their repentance and their confessing of that iniquity. And so, when Peter says in that one word, repent. Now these are things that aren't always in our our. Form of reference. When we think of repentance, we usually think of just our own individual sins. Realize that when Peter condemns that crowd there of killing Christ, most of that crowd, you know, they certainly didn't drive the nails right they certainly didn't didn't uh, you know they weren't that small group of Pharisees that were were you know there before the Romans uh, calling for his death. Many of them may have been in the crowd at large that was saying crucify him but when he when he calls them to confess and, and repent of killing Christ, this is a national repentance he's calling for there. Now again, in order for the nation to repent, the individuals have to repent right but it's a national repentance and it's really what this passage here in Leviticus 26 is is calling for and it's much more really i mean certainly the height of their sin is that they took the son of god himself and put him on a cross and killed him that's the height of their sin but there's a there's a wider issue there that they are to confess their sin not not just the individual sins that they've committed, but the nation's sins. That the nation has walked contrary to God. To confess that their fathers sinned against God. Uh, To confess that all the judgment that they had received. Remember Israel, as Peter's preaching to them there, they have a nation, but they don't even really have control over their own nation. They're under some pagan Gentile ruler uh, that, that God has delivered them to. Right. And they're to confess that all the judgment they've received as a nation is their just punishment for their rebellion against God and, and to accept of that punishment and say, we deserve this. And in doing that, God says he would remember his covenant with them and then he would bless them again as a nation and establish them in the land and, and bring that kingdom. That's what Peter is, is offering to them. That's the good news to them. The bad news is you killed your Messiah. The good news is you can repent. Now, next time we'll talk about what, what part the baptism played in that and, and uh, maybe maybe about the the promise of the Holy Ghost there. But again, these are things that are kind of outside of our frame of reference often, but... For these Israelites, especially the ones who knew the Scripture, those are the things that would have been in their frame of reference, right? They would have understood understood where they were in this in this uh, flow in history. Um, and and by the way, when you get to Stephen that we we uh, just looked at a little bit earlier, where they're where they're cut to the heart and they kill Stephen, that's really where they are ready to go into that time of Jacob's trouble. But we'll, we'll look at that when we get to that passage. Um, God puts a hold there. He puts a delay there to bring in the dispensation of the grace of God, which is, which is what we live under today. And so let's close there for today. Let's close with prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, for the things we could look at today, just sort of this broad overview of how you dealt with that nation in the past and, and you know, where they were at here as Peter is Peter's preaching to them on the day of Pentecost. We pray that, that uh, just as your word to them and that, that message to them as a nation pricked their hearts, that when we come to your word that it would prick our hearts as well that we would see our, our need for repentance um, not as, a, not as a, a work that we somehow perform to, to pay for our sins or anything like that, but that we would constantly be changing our mind, repenting, having a new mind, uh, renewing our mind with the things of your word. And we know that just as they had a need to repent there on the day of Pentecost, Uh, unbelievers today need to repent about their rejection of your son and and uh, receive that free gift that was paid for through his death burial and resurrection and that even we as believers uh, need to be renewing our mind with the things of your word thinking about things not just according to our, our human reason but as we're instructed in your word the bible we thank you in jesus name amen Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com.